This is What Started Your Fire, where we explore the stories and insights, tactics, and best practices of first responders and emergency support personnel. Get inspired, get informed, get involved. Let's roll. Welcome back to What Started Your Fire. I am Chad Dar. I'm uh, here today with Justin Yodice, and we're going to talk about what started his fire. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, what's going on, Chris? Thank you for having me. Um, just wanted to uh, learn a little bit more about um, kind of what started your fire. I know we talked a little bit before this, and you have a lot of irons in the fire, as they say. So uh, I can tell from your attire, um, you're a, a lifeguard, and you've been doing that for a while, right? About four years now. Okay. And uh, what got you started in that? Uh, my dad actually was a lifeguard for like 47 years wow. uh, over here on Long Island. Yes. Very, very long time. Um, we're over 500 strong and we basically cover all of the state parks here on Long Island. So we're a pretty big production and we run a fantastic beach um, and safety is our top priority. Excellent. Um, throughout the, throughout the season, are you, you know, what, what, what's your busy season when you're doing this? So first and foremost, we're the bridge to care for water safety. So we're just looking over hundreds of patrons um, from a water perspective, but there's also the medical side of things as well. Obviously, you know, aside from potential drowning scenarios, there's a medical aspect to that as well. So just kind of basically, you know, time is gray matter and just being right. on top of everything right. and uh, ensuring everybody's safety. Sure. Sure. So 47 years following the footsteps of your father. Do you have any other family members who have done this too? I do not. My brother uh, is in the FDNY, so he's a firefighter for, you know, South Bronx. So, okay. Uh, and I'm the old one. And you're also trained uh, as an EMT as well. And you've been doing that for quite, for quite a while. Yes, that's correct. Um, I've been a licensed EMT and practicing for about seven years. Okay. And I'm with the uh, Comac Ambulance Corps. And what got you started there? Um, I, my kind of like MO, um, I would say I don't like the feeling of helplessness. It's something that's always resonated with me. And, you know, uh, to play on the, ti uh, the title, what started my fire. Uh, growing up, I never liked kind of being in the dark with things. And when I couldn't control a situation, it really bothered me. Not so much as like a control freak. I just didn't like the concept that if somebody could be having a really bad day and something's going completely wrong and they just are completely helpless, they have no control, they don't know what to do and they kind of like shut off. For me, that was always something that bothered me and nothing you know, brought me more joy than to be like, wait a second, I can take control of the situation and help somebody. Um, so I would say that kind of started my drive uh, with the medical side of things. I think basic life support is a necessity. I think everybody should know, uh, but not too many do. So I wanted to do my part and that's kind of like how I got started with this. Sure. Um, making that uh, kind of commitment, right? The commitment to help others because usually the visualization, right? Is where people are running away from a thing. You're running into the thing to make sure that everybody is okay, whether it be with your role as a lifeguard or as an EMT. If you think back, like, was there a specific age that, that you realized that this is what you, you, know, you wanted to do or you, there was an there was an interest in that. Did it start really young? Um, and how much did your uh, family uh, play into that decision? I would say 
at a young age, um, and take this with a grain of salt. I think when you're young, you perceive the world in uh, so many different facets, and sometimes it's a lot of a lot of information to take, and it's overbearing at a young age. So I'm going to use the word fearful. Um, I think growing up, maybe um, I was I was scared, and it took me um, a while to kind of define what my fear was, and to realize that it was the not knowing that was scaring me, the, the thought of change, uh, change in environment, change in situation. And as time progressed, I realized that I can control that if you know I, I go into the right facet. So for example, we're talking about medical cases, say, you know, God forbid I'm out with my family, we're out to eat and somebody's having like anaphylactic shock or something. Yep. Everybody kind of shuts off. They have like their blinders. They don't know what to do. Some people are recording. Uh, everybody's crying. Just being able to step like, all right, what, what, what are we doing from here? Where do we have to go? And just kind of stepping up to the occasion that always meant a lot to me. And I think that also translates in other, um, you know, spheres of like, kind of like what I'm doing because I, I I'm also, um, an MMA fighter and I've wrestled my whole life. Um, when I started with wrestling, it was solely for the sport. And then as time progressed, I was like, wait a second, you know, I want to control every single facet. So I want to learn how to defend myself, how to defend my family. And then coming from a wrestling base, that's when I kind of like started with like martial arts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, it kind of doubled down on being able to control my, you know, more situational awareness and just being able to control, um, little facets of my life. Fant <clears throat> Excuse me. Fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit about, are, are there one or two things that, uh, earlier in your, in your EMT career that, that, that really solidified, like, this is why I'm doing this. I, I feel as if I had many situations like that, um, one of my first calls when I was an EMT, and I, I took the class, I believe, in 2014, so a couple of months ago. But um, one of my first calls, I believe it was a, uh, a drunk driver, T-boned um, some, some man when he was on his way to work. And um, obviously pulling up to the scene, it's a lot to take in. Um, you know, you see literally cars completely demolished. You don't normally see that, you know, everyday life. Normally accidents are cleared very quick. You know, they set up whatever the boundaries are. So you don't really get to see this. Uh, so being up close and personal to the situation, um, that within itself was definitely something that uh, opened up my eyes. But uh, the gentleman who was hit, he actually ended up passing away. And just being around the, the idea of that like, life was taken away and what he left behind, um, like his daughter and everything, and his, and his wife, it, it, it gave me a, a new definition to what life is really about and how precious it is, it is and how it can be taken away very easily. Uh, so that kind of like rooted me in wanting to stay in emergency medicine just because I realized that something very simple um, could be going wrong, like what we were saying before, an allergic reaction. Um, or even, you know, somebody who might be having a stroke or whatever it is, like ischemic, hemorrhagic, whatever it might be, like they have to get to the hospital. Just understanding like the signs and like, like I said before, time is gray matter, just understanding and just um, realizing the situation and doing what you have to do to take care of it or, you know, what's the next step. Mm -hmm. um, that kept me in medicine just because I thought uh, it, it really does make a huge difference. Like the, the idea that I've actually saved lives 
is insane. I mean, last year at the beach, we had somebody who went to cardiac arrest and I was on them within like literally like 30 seconds and uh, we were able to get them back. And I, that within it, I'm just like, that's insane. Um, the idea that, you know, life could have been taken, but you were able to kind of give like a second chance. Yeah. Or, like they got a second chance uh, that just in all that's worth yeah. it for me. Yeah. And uh, for our viewers who may not be that familiar with kind of the numbers around that, that's not like, despite what we see on TV sometimes where, you know, every CPR incident leads to somebody surviving, right? That's not necessarily the case uh, out in the real world, right? The survival rate after CPR is relatively low. Um, and so being there and at the right time and being able to be trained and knowing what to do. And um, tell me a little bit about kind of the weight that that carries um, both in a, like you were able to make a difference in another person's life. Um, tell me about the weight. Is there a weight that you feel from that or, or a responsibility or maybe an obligation from those experiences? What started your fire is powered by ultra bright lights. Ultra bright lights is on the road and on the scene with vehicle warning lights, sirens, controllers, and more as we support police, firefighters, EMTs, security, towing, and others who demand the best in exterior vehicle lighting. Explore our huge selection at ultra bright lights spelled with a Z.com. I, I think uh, you might you might uh, resonate the same way as well, but you've spent a lot of time um, within your practice, so you, you get an idea of professionalism, and you hold yourself uh, more accountable, and you hold yourself to a higher level. Uh, that being said, when you are in those situations, um, you kind of get hard on yourself. You're like, well, I'm the professional. I need to step up to the occasion. My job is to make your life better or to improve the situation. Right. So obviously when it doesn't go your way, people can say it's not your fault. Is that the other thing, but on a personal level, you're like, well, it's my job to fix that. Right. So, you know, I, I do take it a lot harder. Um, and it does hold a lot of weight when I'm able to make a difference in somebody's life and impact them in a positive way. And, you know, they can turn around and thank me or like they send me like a letter or whatever it might be that for me is just one of the best feelings. And that's kept me um, basically in line with um, working in EMS because I, I chose a completely different career. I ended up in like business and I got out of the medical career probably, uh, was it five years ago? I changed my majors. Um, I just decided that it probably wasn't best for me, but I wanted to continue riding an ambulance and doing my part in my community. Sure. Uh, I just thought it was extremely important. Yeah. Uh, speaking about kind of the multifaceted part, portions of your life, um, working as a lifeguard and, and in the EMT world isn't the only thing that you do. You also have a nonprofit that you, that you run. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Tell me a little bit about that. Of course. Um, about 10 months ago, I started a nonprofit organization with my buddy Nick called Atlantic Counter Trafficking. It's a nonprofit that combats human trafficking through collecting intelligence products and disseminating that information to law enforcement. So basically, we help warrant investigations and the arrests of trafficking networks. Uh, so we've been doing a lot of groundwork there. And um, it, that, that's been very fulfilling just knowing that we're making a huge impact and it's such a, it's such a problem here in the United States and a lot of people don't realize it. 
So that's something that's, uh, it's definitely been taking the majority of my time, but it's been probably the one that's been the most worth it. Yeah. It, um, for those of us that don't, don't maybe see the problem as big as it is, or aren't as aware of it and certainly understand that, that it's there. Are there like warning signs or are there things that we could pick up on or, um, that if we see kind of, you know, when we're traveling in an airport or somewhere that if something happens, we should be maybe alerting the authorities. Is that any, you'd ever talk about those types of situations? Yeah. So, um, I'll just kind of go over like the whole umbrella as well with, uh, trafficking. A lot of people, when they think of, um, sex trafficking and the whole like Liam Neeson side of things yeah. taken, um, they, they lose sight of what it also can show up as. So it's not just about sex trafficking. It could be, um, labor exploitation. Um, and in some countries it's even like organ harvesting, like some crazy cruel things. Uh, the majority of trafficking is actually from like about 12 to 14 year olds, predominantly being uh, women. Um, so they prey on vulnerability and that with that does not sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with a lot of people, but the idea of trafficking itself, it's a scary topic. People don't want to talk about it. And that the fact that people are uncomfortable about it, I think that's why it's not as in, you know, big of a light. I think when people see something and it just doesn't feel right to them, it's worth documenting. It's worth saying something because warranting that little investigation or just looking into something could change somebody's life. Um, one of the biggest problems is we don't document things. We, we overlook things. Um, majority of those traffics, uh, a lot of that actually happens within families. Because as I said before, they prey on vulnerability. So some of the most vulnerable are the people you know you're related to. Because there's this idea of trust and whatnot. I know it sounds terrible, but um, it's greatly overlooked. Um, especially you think like orphans. Uh, I think it's sixty about sixty percent of orphans will be trafficked in some shape or form. Oh, and that's a true statistic. Uh, that with that. Just, I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy time to be alive because of where we are with technology. Uh, you think social media. Um, we have kids as young as, you know, even eight, eight years old, seven years old. All they're on is, you know, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. all these things. And it's just making it easier and easier for the wrong kind of people to um, try to manipulate you. And um, I would say for parents just to be more mindful of what their kids are doing online, what they're posting, you know, um, if they're going away on vacation, um, it's like little things, like even, you know, something as simple as people posting like, uh, their, their ticket, their boarding pass. I mean, as a piece they're always like, Oh, I'm going on vacation. I was like, well, you told them where you're going, what time you're going, where you're sitting, what, you know, little stuff like that. And, um, I know it sounds silly, but in the world that we live in today, yeah, you really have to, uh, pay attention. You really have to watch out for yourself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> there, there seems to be, <clears throat> excuse me, there seems to be this commonality in, in really what's driving you and, and it, it's, you know, saving people, it's helping people. It, it's, it, and I know that, that with your family, like you've got other people and you learn from your father probably a lot in, in that aspect. Um, as we wrap up here, tell me just a little bit about, about, about kind of that heritage that, that, uh, 
maybe your father had started many years ago and, and carrying that on, uh, carrying that torch on. Yeah, totally. Um, I think when I really look back and reflect, I can say I've been instilled with a lot of qualities of selflessness. Uh, growing up, my mom, um, I think she sacrificed so much just to get me to where I am today and make me who I am. And might have taken that for granted growing up. But as I got older, I realized because I know if I want to do the same thing she did, I'm like, wait, you know, I can't go out on the weekend or I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, and then with my dad just being, you know, on the beach, literally saving people's lives, you know, you have people in the blink of an eye. I mean, they could drown. Um, you can have a medical emergency if they don't get the right care that, like I said before, reflecting on uh, some of my first calls, life can be taken away and it's really precious. Um, I think it's deep rooted in my family. I think that's also why you can see, as I said before, my brother, he's with the FDNY. Yeah. So he's a firefighter. Um, he was an EMT for years uh, prior. Um, I think it's very self-rewarding um, being selfless. And I know at the end of the day, some people will say like, you have to take care of yourself at some point, but I think looking out for others and kind of being like a watchdog actually was more uplifting for me. And it's catapulted me elsewhere in my careers. And it's really motivated me to kind of strive for just being a better person. And that falls, you know, in my work as well. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been a great ride and I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm only, I'm turning 26 and I, uh, at the end of the month. So I'm still pretty young. And, um, I think I've been instilled with a lot of great qualities and I just need to keep doing my part and keep helping others. That's fantastic. Well, Justin, I want to say thank you for taking your time today to share with us what started your fire. Uh, if we had more people like you doing the things that you're doing, I think this world would be a better place. So thanks for your time today. Oh no. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, and a special thanks to our subscribers. Consider becoming one today. What Started Your Fire is a production of Ultra Bright Lights, who invites you to visit us at ultrabrightlights.com and explore our emergency lights and lighting technologies. Ultra Bright Lights, spelled with a Z.com. Z.com.